Welcome everyone to Next Steps podcast. Um, Matt's on holiday for a couple of weeks, so we get to um, rule the roost, I think is the phrase, or while the cat's away. Um, so anyway, have a good holiday, Matt, if you're listening. I hope you're not listening, you're on holiday. But welcome to Next Steps podcast. We'd like to start by acknowledgement of country and we acknowledge and pay our respects to the first Tasmanian peoples as traditional owners and custodians of the land we, we walk on. We also pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and for their care of for country, land and seas over the past thousands of generations. So, yeah. All right. Well, this this today we've got Emily and myself, Dan. Um, yeah. We're, first question is, how many leaks have you got in your house? Leaks. Yeah, not vegetables. Um, it was pouring rain Friday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday for those who don't live in the south of Taz. Got any house leaks? No, we're actually pretty good, although under the house is very dry for us, uh, but we do have a couple of wet patches, but it's all dirt under there anyway. So Yeah. Well, here, at Mornington, here at Mornington, we got loads of leaks. Um, we're going to have to do some work on it. It's quite, it's like, I think it's a very flat roof. Yeah. So, but Lena Valley seemed all right. Anyway, I hope everyone else who's listening escaped the rain. I went up to um, Longford on Saturday and it was beautiful and sunny while it was so miserable down here. That was the funny bit. Now, coming from an English context, I have to talk about the weather first before we get started. So <laughs> now that that's out of the way, is that the same in Tassie still? It's one of your like small talk topics, but yeah. I don't know if it's the first one necessarily. Yeah, good, good. Okay, well, let's talk about politics then. No, I'm joking. <laughs> okay. Um, Matt, oh, last Sunday we're, we've been talking about um, the teaching of Jesus in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10 at the moment. W one of the interesting things of Matthew 10, Matthew takes the teaching of Jesus and puts it in three chunks. And, and in chapter 10, Matthew seems to take a, a synthesis of teaching from all over Jesus' years of ministry and puts them all into one chapter. And I think, I think one of the best ways to read it is read it phrase by phrase. Um, because I don't think it was all delivered in one sitting of Jesus. So today we're talking about a pretty interesting one for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to those out there. Um, yeah, so I hope you got looked after. Did, did you get breakfast, a special breakfast? I did get breakfast. We had to be at church super early, but I still got croissants and my first Mother's Day. Yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, nice. Um, for Danny, it was her first Mother's Day in Australia. So, yeah, so we normally celebrate it at a different time of year. I can't remember when. Yeah. But, um, okay. So one thing Matt was talking about is the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Um, and it, this was a pretty interesting part for me. I mean, we use the words in a, in a real tight way here, but obviously in, you can use these words almost interchangeably. But in today's setting, peacemaking and peacekeeping, we're we're going to talk about in the context of peace peacemaking is where you just avoid conflict and keep everything um okay sort of thing like just avoid tricky subjects peacemaking is when you create a lack of conflict but also that also probably means a lack of intimacy and a lack of authenticity as well um whereas peace making i'm going to get these two mixed up today <laughs> whereas peacemaking is when you go out of your way to find out what are the things we need to deal with where's the injustices where's the lack of relationship and how do we actually bring peace and matt talked about the word shalom which means that everything in its right place it doesn't mean the absence of conflict but it means that everything in its right place um which is a more of an old testament hebrew um meaning to that word now as matt was talking about peacekeeping and peacemaking i was like because he said oh the, you know i'm sure that in every family there's some things that you just don't talk about so obviously i leaned over to Stu and just said we don't talk about bruno <laughs> um, i'm not sure if he got the joke i don't know if Stu's seen it he doesn't have young kids but mm. if you've seen encanto you'll know what i'm talking about it was one of the best-selling movies of 2021 uh disney cartoon Emily, you've got a baby who's too young to watch Disney cartoons yet and get any meaning from them. <laughs> but I think you've watched it. 
I, I do, but I have to watch Encanto because I'm a primary school teacher and I don't yeah. think there's one kid in our primary school that has not heard of at least the song if they haven't watched the movie. One of my colleagues has a countdown in her classroom and it's like on construction sites, days since an accident. It's days since we last talked about Bruno and <laughs> yeah. it always goes back to zero. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, so the phrase, we don't talk about Bruno, um, firstly, can you sing it to us? No, I'm joking. But <laughs> Uh, here, here's a picture of them, just fighting out at the moment. Here's a picture of, oh, what's her name? Mirabella. Mirabelle. Mirabelle and her uncle Bruno. So, Emily, do you want to give us a quick plot rundown so that we know what we don't talk about Bruno means? Well, Encanto, great movie. If you haven't already seen it, it's on Disney+. Plus. Um, I'm pretty sure it's overtaken Frozen as the most, well, or at least let it go. It's taken, like, we don't talk about Bruno, it's taken over as the most popular song ever or something like that but it's about a Colombian family and they all have unique gifts that they're given on their 10th is it their 10th birthdays when they're little they get these gifts and they're uh, they're all special in different ways one of them can control the weather and things like that one of them can heal people with food um, and Mirabelle our main character is the only one who doesn't get a special gift um, so when she opens up her special door nothing happens um, I don't really know how else to explain it. No, that's great. That's a good start. So who's who's Bruno and why do we not talk about him? Um, at the beginning of the movie, you don't really know who Bruno is. You just know that he doesn't get talked about. And then you learn he is, uh, she has two aunties and one uncle. And the uncle, they don't talk about him because he used to see visions. That was his special gift. And he saw a bad vision. Uh, and so instead of facing it and talking to his family about it, he ran away and hid, and so they stopped talking about him because he's not really technically a part of their family. Well, technically he is a part of their family. Mm. That's, the, that's the problem. Um, and the whole village knows that we don't talk about Bruno because they join in on the song. Yep. And so how does this relate? Why do I think of this when I talk about, talk about peacekeeping and peacemaking? Well, a peacekeeper will not talk about Bruno because you don't want to upset people. You don't mm -hmm. want to bring it up. You... Just want to keep things smooth and as they are, and if nothing changes, we'll be okay. So that's a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker. Now this is where Mirabelle comes in. What is it about her? Because I think this this um, is a story of um, redemption, uh, mm, of mm. Re reconciliation, probably more. It's about buying back what was lost, but she does it by being a peacemaker. And do you want to explain that a bit, then? What? Definitely. Mirabelle, I guess, is sad. Yeah, you would be sad. You're the only person in your family not special enough to get a gift. And she just wants to be helpful and she wants to try and find her place in the family, but she can't do it through a special gift. So she just has to do it through being there for everybody else. And through the movie, she it looks like she's tearing the family apart because their house is literally crumbling in front of them. But really what she's doing, she's challenging peacekeeping and she's talking to all of her sisters and brothers who are struggling and they're overburdened and they're pushing themselves and what they really want because they're all trying to please the family, trying to do what's best for the family, and she's challenging them on that and through that brings peace into their home and peace into each of their hearts and she helps all of them along the way. So it's definitely a great analogy to use for this discussion. And so the peacemakers, they had Bruno sitting within the walls. He was basically hiding in a Anne Frank hiding place kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And he, the saddest scene in the movie, I think, is when you realise that Bruno's been eating a meal just inside the wall but away from the, separated from the family for, I don't know, 20 years or something. Yep. Which um, we're not going to talk about the physics and reality of all that, but <laughs> it's... Um, <laughs> But that, the saddest thing is the isolation that Bruno receive, um, go, goes through because the peacemakers find it too awkward to deal with and so shut mm. it away. And, and so in our families, and this, this is interesting for Mother's Day, not, this is not targeted at mothers, this is just families. There'll be things that we don't talk about, that we lock up, that we shut away just to keep the peace. Um, and the the problem with keeping the peace in that setting which is uh, we we have a lot of phrases about this like sweeping things under the carpet or the elephant in the room now mm -hmm. we have we don't talk about bruno um it's these are things that and, and if they stay in that position it 
in, in Christian circles, we often use the word death to mean the lack of life. Like there is a death in the relationship in the, there is something, a skeleton in the cupboard. There's all these different phrases that, that mean that we miss out on the life and fullness of life that we could have. I know in my own family, this is certainly a thing that I have to work through a, a lot. We, um, we don't have a lot of unity. There are definitely things we don't talk about in our family. Um, and it's very difficult to bring them up. So it's been really challenging for me to, to work out. Some, sometimes I, I'm really torn because sometimes I don't know if we can find a way through to resolution. And so then I just keep the peace because it's too much hustle and bustle to get through. So here the fingers are pointing straight at me of what do I need to work through with my 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 family. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll go and journal that myself rather than debrief it here, <laughs> but but it's it's a big deal. Um, what what is there in our settings where we're just keeping peace rather than making peace? And you're exactly right, um, Emily. Mirabel almost destroys her family by addressing these issues. Um, but it, it is the image of the whole house is just f fracturing, mm -hmm. uh, and is actually destroyed at one point. Um, and, and I th yeah, so we'll move on from this analogy in a sec. But I think if you haven't watched it, go and watch it with this passage in mind of what does it mean to be a peacemaker and not just a peacekeeper? Um, and I think if, you, if you've watched it 100 times, then it's probably worth having another shot with those eyes on. Um, at church, Matt asked a very similar question. So I'll just pop this up on the screen. Um, the question is, where have you seen the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping in your own life? So, Emily, do you want to read through a few of these? Uh, well, some of our big ones, family, marriage, church, friendships, work, relationships, um, having hard conversations, avoiding a criticising boss, um, mm. places in, in the workplace, in clubs, in committees, um, through any family celebration by turning a blind eye in between siblings when you might be overcome with anxiety in personal conflicts. Yeah. That, that's probably a good start. But yeah, that's, these are places where we, now I don't know what people's motivation for writing these in. They might have experienced peacekeeping in this setting or peacemaking in this setting. The question is mm. not quite clear which way you're answering it. And it's interesting that church is one of the big ones, church and family. It's not a massive surprise. So church, family and marriage are the three ones that were written the most often. Um, that's not a massive surprise because for a lot of us, that's where the pr primary relationships are happening. So, mm -hmm. so one one part of my experience is I, I was in a church, um, and we actually uh, were looking for a pastor for that church, and we went through the interview process, and we we um, found a pastor that we thought would be good. Unanimously, we all decided that this pastor would suit us, and um, so we we invited him in. Um, and he was on three months probation just, just to make sure this was all right. And it became evident fairly quickly that the pastor was um, not going to work for us. Uh, he didn't have much initiative. Um, catching up with other people wasn't a part of his plan. Like it, it was um, it was really quite awkward right at the start because to be a pastor, there are a bunch of jobs you have to do. And I don't think he'd had mm -hmm. a lot of experience. And, and so we tried to actually mentor him, you know, set up KPIs, uh, key performance indicators and help him to know, okay, this is what we expect of a pastor and here's how you can grow and things. And after a couple of months, we realized, golly, this isn't going to work. Um, now, this was a big challenge for me. <laughs> so hi, Grace. Here she comes. This is, we'll just keep going. This was a big challenge for me. Emily, I can flick the camera to me for a sec if you want. <laughs> All good. Yeah. Uh, hey, Grace. Anyway, the, um, it, it became evident that this, was a, um, this wasn't going to work. And the previous church that we got references from, they'd all said, oh, no, he'll be great. He'll be good for the church. Mm. And we, we, you know, we believed them. And they were so wrong but i think they were peacekeepers they were trying to yeah things yeah and... not that they were necessarily lying to you but that they hadn't addressed things yeah previously yeah. so they were probably glad he was moving on but not wanting to mess things up um anyway so th this past we we really invested in him for three months um but it was just really clear that his 
gifts and character type and stuff just weren't suited for being a pastor. So it was really difficult for us. This was a peacekeeping time. So we, we, um, we, we walked with him through this journey. We got him professional career counselor just to work it through with him as well. Um, I helped him to find what what other career or job could you do because I don't think being a pastor is the thing, and we've helped him find a job, um, and then we walked with him through the grieving process of not following on the career he thought he was going to be on, but following this new career. Now, as a church, we could have just been peacekeepers, um, and but it just wouldn't have worked and it would have actually destroyed both. I think both him, his satisfaction with work, but possibly yeah. life stuff. Um, and it would definitely have affected the church where we just weren't going where we wanted to go and we weren't getting what we needed. Um, and so it was probably one of the most clear examples of where we had to be courageous um, to actually see things clearly, to include God in it, to prayerfully work through it but to have the courage to address it and not just hide it. And uh, so that was a massive learning thing for me. It's still um, it's still a bit painful. That guy actually stayed in our church for the next three years um, and we employed a new pastor, which was all awkward, but he stayed in the church. And that's like a just, congregation member, you mean? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and we just um, we managed to help him through that journey. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably one of the clearest things of us trying to get to a place of peace and, and and get things sorted and the church did a great job through it but it was definitely one of those things of we'd rather not talk about Bruno but let's take it on yeah do, do you have any stories that line up with any of these arenas Emily uh, I was just thinking like I've, I've had similar experiences at work and stuff and, and it is awkward and sometimes you get people that come back years later and they thank you but a lot of the time we don't necessarily get that. But yeah. we have to just hope that, yeah, if God's pushing us hard enough to challenge it and be the peacemaker ma instead of the peacekeeper. Yeah. That's what he wants us to do. I know um, a retired teacher, she had a prac student and they just, they, they were close to the end of their degree and it just, yeah, it was the same. It just wasn't the right fit and it wasn't the right career fit for them. Um they had so much knowledge, but just all the other things, you know, teachers do, they were struggling with and they didn't really have that passion. And she said, do you want to do this? And they said, I just don't know. And in the end, they didn't pass their placement. And um, she was one of those jobs because if you fail a placement, you get a second chance. And she was the second chance person, very experienced woman of 50 years teaching. And, um, yeah. Yeah, when she failed someone, that was it. They couldn't go back to uni. They couldn't become a teacher. So it was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, but he ended up going on and working in a museum because that was exactly what he was good at and he found his passion, but it took yeah. a very awkward... Yeah, she really had to step up. She could have just passed him and he could have struggled for the next how many years in the classroom, but mm. she didn't want to do that to him, his class or the kids yeah. or anybody. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's not comfortable. Sometimes, I think most of the time being a peacemaker is not necessarily that level of uncomfortable, but, yeah. yeah, there's a reason we avoid it, I think. Yeah, that's right. And in a lot of workplaces, I know in teaching and in nursing and I'm sure in many workplaces, in, in teaching my experience was that the teachers oh. who, who weren't good teachers got promoted to management jobs because yep. <laughs> they weren't so good with the kids and, and they really weren't good at management jobs, but at least it didn't show up as much. Oh. <laughs> so, but yeah oh that's a slap in the face for that one mm -hmm. great all right matt, matt also talked about this journey of um human development which which walks through dependence counterdependence, independence and interdependence so i thought it'd be worth defining that a tiny bit mm. but these are four stages of human development and a healthy mature person will go through all of these phases um we'll also go through these phases in you know going into a new environment or a new yeah. workplace or anything like that so the first step is being dependent so where my view my world my action my behavior is dependent on the person who's caring for me so grace coming in stage right and very she's the very example. dependent very dependent how long would grace survive without some support i don't know we could maybe get an hour <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Before the breakdown happens. Yep, until the so food needed to go in. She's very dependent, and and it, which is right, and that's how that's how we start, and then she'll become, I think, for girls, often around 13, 14 years old, where she actually works out that I'm, 
she works out how to not be dependent. But then instead of being her own boss, she actually becomes counter-dependent, which means whatever my mum thinks, I disagree with that. Now, different kids go through it to different strengths. I've seen some kids where you can barely notice they're counter-dependent. I've seen some people get to their 30s when they finally realise they're going to be counter-dependent from their parents. Um, Others just go for it. And it's a heart-aching time for parents sometimes when their kid is no longer dependent but actually against. Um, But what parents... I've done a lot of youth work and one of the main pieces of advice is, look, you just have to hold your boundaries and love them. But they have to be able to distance themselves from you so that they can work out who they are. And mm-hmm. counter-dependent is such a natural way of doing that. Of I am just pushing away everything that I've been told that I have to do so that I can work out who I am. Um, it's often not a conscious decision, but it's just a reactionary one. I don't think many people choose deliberately to be counter-dependent, but it definitely comes out. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so that's the first two phases is dependence where what do you think and that's what I think as well and then counter-dependence is what do you think because I want to think the opposite. Mm -hmm. And then the third phase is independence where you actually start to work out your own mind and it's, it's also not a fully matured state because an independent person doesn't need anyone else and it, they just make up their own mind. Now, as humans, we're not designed to live healthily in, in that way. And that's why, yeah. Please tell me Sam's not behind your camera. No, and he can, she can see you though. Yeah. Anyway, um, and so interdependence is where we live. Our lives are attached. They influence each other. Um, I work out what I think, but I'll also speak other views and opinions before I really form mine. Um, so interdependence is when I'm, I'm independent, but I actually interact and integrate with those around me mm. to be able to work out who I am and what I believe. And in, in Christian circles, we'll often talk about, um, well, a- allowing others to shape us and to have influence on us. And the primary one of those is Jesus. I don't want to be independent from Jesus. I actually want to seek the way he would live and the way he wants me to live mm-hmm. and then adjust my behavior and standpoint with that. So it'd be nice to talk through that. That's the definition of those four things. Any any thoughts as we go through that, Em? I just really liked the steps. I like how yeah Matt identified each one and I could kind of sit there thinking, yeah, I can see, not like how you were saying you do it in new environments and stuff too. It's not just about our, you know, development from infant to adolescent and adulthood and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, I can pinpoint little moments in my life where I think I stepped into the next one or, yeah, yeah. times in the workplace where you move up the little... Yeah, we'll also use the phrases like enchantment and then disenchantment and then reality, mm-hmm. which is similar. So, yeah, I, I started work here a few months ago and I was very dependent on everyone. I didn't have any keys. I didn't know where anything was. I didn't know how to do anything. And so I'm dependent on the people here in the office to show me the ropes. And then and then I don't have, I, am I kind of dependent? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but, but, yeah, I'll start to work out my own view and how we should do things and then hopefully get to a place of maturity where we, we work together. I like how Matt said, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said something like, if your kids are interdependent, you've done your job and you've done your job well. Like you may have been through some very rough patches, teenage years and everything. And I thought, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's the same in the workplace too. Obviously the people showing you around and through that dependency and counter-dependency means that you were able to get through the independent and interdependent stages. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and that you haven't really done your job until the kid no longer needs you. Yeah, that's, yeah, that was it. That was it. That's a grating line, isn't it? Mm. Okay, now we've got Anne, Anne Herbert's just turning up, so I'm going to bring her in just for fun. And and give me a nod if you want to come into this conversation. <laughs> yes, yeah, she's in. She's in. Here she comes. <laughs> and where are you? Um, I'm actually out. I'm actually looking at the boats in um, Lindisfarne. Um, it's beautiful. I can see the bridge in the distance and I can see lots of riots and it's wonderful. Yeah. And very nice. sunny. So I'm it sorry. Actually, actually looks like you're driving at the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I tried sitting somewhere else where I was in a park, but it was very noisy. So yeah, yeah. here so I am. We, we've just talked through. Um, have you seen Encanto before, the movie? 
Okay, good. So we talked about that. You don't have to worry about that bit. We talked about the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. And so we've got, gone through that. And we're just talking about um, dependence, counterdependence, independence, and interdependence. So I'll yeah. give you a second to arrive. But it'd be nice to hear if you had any thoughts around these from the sermon yesterday. Yeah. I have to say I'd not heard the term counterdependence mm. before, but it made sense to me having reared four children into adulthood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just the way that um, each one of them in different ways was pushing boundaries and exploring their own individuality and that move as you say, from dependence into independence, um, which is one of the things Matt talked about. And I think I have seen for myself, experienced for myself, that movement from um, accepting a mum and dad's view of the world to move, some, accepting maybe some of it, but rejecting other bits of it. And um, that informing the way they live in their adult life. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. I'm sure you've got a few good stories of the kids. You can actually tell when they're just reacting and just working the system, basically, or working against the system, compared to when they're maturely trying to work out what do I believe and who am I really. Yeah. 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 And, and, and yeah. it might be worth, I'm just going to turn your camera off for a sec, because it might be worth getting it to sit somewhere still because it's shaking a lot. Oh, uh, Yes. So I'll just I'll give you a sec to settle in, and then we'll we'll bring you back when you're ready. Um, the reason we're talking about this, we'll come, we'll come back to that in a second. The reason we're talking about this is Jesus in Matthew chapter ten. Um, I'll read out a, ses, uh, a part of it. He says, "Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother." A daughter-in-law. That's funny. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Bring an hand back in. Here she is. All still and steady. Yeah. So, Anne, have you got any stories you'd like to share? Of um, I'm actually pushing back. Oh, too many. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think I guess there's one. Ex um, like I have a son, for example, and and some of this is a heartache for me that I'm living with, and but I've had to accept that my faith and and dale's faith is something that uh he has and the reasons why we have faith um is is a place that he um doesn't feel he can accept for himself um mm. so he's actually rejected um uh faith in god completely mm. and yeah. but he's done that but being thoughtful, it's it's a lucky to be in that he's really, I suppose, come into that in his early 20s. And as a mother, um, I have a heart for him to um, know the rich relationship that we can have with God and with Jesus. But at the same time, I need to respect where he is at um, as, an, as an independent adult who's made the decision that he's made. Yeah. Yeah. Not standing the heartache. And mm. how do you go at letting go? That's that's a huge thing to let go. Um it's I, I think sometimes I'm, I've I've always believed, and this is something also that came out yesterday, that a parent's job is to make themselves redundant. Mm. And from the beginning of our you know, our child rearing um that was how we always approached it and and, and mostly that happens in a um a slow way over the years it kind of happens and yes it has its dynamics and it has its moments where there's a lot of tension in that and other sweet special beautiful moments to hold mm -hmm. on to um but i think 
part of being a parent is to give your children the resources and the confidence and the security that to be able to move into adult life mm. and 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 manage, even when it means they don't um, take on your own views of the world. And, um, how, and how dare they don't take on your views of the world? That's <laughs> that's the hard bit, isn't it? Well, yes, um, it can be. Um, and you, and you um, want to say to them, "I've worked it all out. I've already thought about it all, and this is the way." <laughs> this is. Yeah. It can be yeah. like that, but um, I think the other thing I've learned too is that if you don't, if you if you try to hold on or push back too hard. Um, you actually are much more at risk of losing them, if you like, altogether. Whereas yeah. if you can hold the communication channels open, um, then <laughs> have I still got you? Yeah, you have, but your camera's yeah. frozen for a minute. It says you've got network connection issues. Yeah, okay. Um, let, let me take it for a second and, and I'll turn, turn your camera off in a minute here. Yeah. Let's you just try and ring back in, Dan. Okay, then, sure. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Cool. So this this passage, well, it's a parent's job to actually help their children to be independent and, and then interdependent, hopefully. And that's, that's the battle. Yeah. So I think we might move on because this passage from Jesus... Um, Emily, I've been, I was reading in Matthew chapter 12, like Matthew chapter 10 is just a whole bunch of Jesus' teachings smudged together into different, a whole series of different things he used to say. In Matthew 12, it talks a bit more about his mothers and brothers and sisters. Um, and so Matthew 12 in 46, it says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, so I think this might be the moment that actually inspired that teaching bit of Jesus in 10. Um, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he, re and he, repli he replied to the, to the man, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And it, this is an interesting passage because when we look at the Beatitude and the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, be a, God loves the peacemakers, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's quite a different contrast to this passage where Jesus says, um, I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. So we've got Anne back as well. Welcome back, Anne. We'll let you settle in. Um, Emily, I find these two passages, these two teachings of Jesus, interesting to try and join into the same person. Um, here's a bottle. She wants my drink bottle. I wouldn't give it to her, but she's happy now, whatever. <laughs> Uh, so I think this so this passage is where we come back to peacekeepers and peacemakers. Jesus is saying, blessed are, the, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall inherit the earth. I think that's the verse. And he says, love your enemies as yourself and bless those who persecute you. That's Matthew chapter 10. And in Matthew chapter 12, he says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. These two phrases are interesting together. And I think peacemakers and peacekeepers is where it really comes down to it. Jesus is calling people to the kingdom of God. He's asking them to come and follow the creator of the universe to submit their lives to God and to love their neighbor as themselves. Um, and so the Jesus is coming in to teach this teaching. Now there are there are some there are families where the sword will divide between a man and his father or a daughter and her mother. Um, I, I used to work with open doors for a number of years in the UK. And we have many, many stories of people finding Christ and coming to faith from other religious backgrounds. And for a Muslim or a Buddhist who is, um, ha has a strong national identity with that religion as well, for a child to turn to Christ to become, in their mind, to become Western, 
It's not actually a faith thing. It's about being a Western culture thing. They become a Christian. And this is, you really see the sword divide between father and son and mother and daughter, where the kid is no longer welcome in the home. In some countries, they're actually executed. Um, in Somalia, their parents can kill them without going to court because of their the faith that they have chosen. Um, and so I, I, the way I interpret this passage, and I'd love to get your thoughts in a second how these two go together, but the way I interpret it is Jesus said, I'm asking you to come and follow me, you know, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. And that will divide families. And, and so even though Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, if you choose me, if, and he later says, if you take up your cross and follow me, then you will cause trouble and division. And, um, yeah, so I, how would you interpret that juxtaposition of these two passages? I think um, Jesus came to bring a very radical message. Um, he was um, challenging status quo a lot of the time and he was asking his followers to be thoughtful and um, true to um, the calling that he had placed on them, which meant that, you know, a bit like some of those people you were talking about who made a decision to follow Christ and they counted the cost to do so, which involved... Um, you know, the potential, the risk of losing their life um, at the hands of their family, um, being misunderstood. And, um, you know, it's not that they stopped loving their, their family, but they, um, their love for, for Jesus um, took priority I guess and um, uh, I've never I've not had to be in that position where I've had to really think through how much am I willing to give in order to be the, mm. the in relationship with Jesus no I've not been in that kind of a situation but yeah, um, yeah. Because Jesus says in the same passage, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Mm. And anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who mm. loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And you can feel the pain in those sentences. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Yes. But then I look at Jesus and um, there's a line that I've, I read many years ago, and I've shared it at different times, and it's the suffering but triumphant love of God expressed through Jesus Christ. So what he did when he went to the cross, um, he went out of love for, mm. for um, this world and its people and for God, the Father, and um, he suffered he loved so much that he suffered and um but he was willing to pay that price because of the love that he had <laughs> and it's yeah. a weird kind of thing isn't it sometimes we think of love as this kind of emotional thing but there is a hard edge to love mm. um that we often overlook but the other thing is we can leave him like we left you know people left christ for dead and we can feel like we've been left for dead when we're suffering. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, like that. But he, um, he triumphed because there's a creative energy and power mm. that is um, it's beyond what we normally think of in terms of relationship and, yeah. and um, anyway. And, it's hard and to here, yeah, and here Jesus is going through, I think, what we're talking about. This is the Jesus who hasn't been crucified yet. Um, mm. he, he knows what's coming, but, he, but he's, his mum and brothers have come to take him away. They, they actually don't understand 
understand what he's doing. Um, they, they don't get him, and so to some degree, if his mum had her way, she would have dragged him back up to Nazareth to to come and get get his brain right again. She just didn't understand what he, who he was, and what he needed to do. So here, he's had to work through this dependence, counterdependence, independence yeah. stuff to work out who yeah. he is. Um, and and he's he's actually had to uh, had to define himself against his mum and brothers in this yeah. in this context. He's actually said, um, uh, "Whoever does not uh, uh, let me read this. Anyone who loves their father and mother more than me." You know, the next passage in in chapter twelve, he says. Who he points to his disciples and he says, "Here are my mothers and brothers. Um, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister." And, and so Jesus has had to work out who he is, what his job is, yeah, and and how to how to how to continue. I think the most the the phrase that Matt said yesterday that hit me the most was, "It's you get to a point where it's no longer okay to be defined by your family." But to work out who you are, and that, that interdependence thing again. And I think Jesus is showing that example here. I mean, it might be a bit tough. I don't know. Is there anything you want to say for this bit? I was just thinking to myself um, with the Encanto movie as well as our image. The more that Mirabelle connects with each sister and brother, um, and uncovers, you know, and she's you know, peacemaking instead of peacekeeping because they've been peacekeeping for so long that they're about to explode, literally. And like the grandma is just getting so angry at her for doing that, for going around. Why are you staring the pot? Why are you wrecking things and making it worse? But she's like creating opportunities for them to be honest with themselves and be honest with her that their family is actually super dysfunctional. There's a lot they haven't talked about. And it's not okay anymore and she's, yeah, not loving that because she's made so many sacrifices for her family and in a way she is trying to, like, keep them as this perfect bottle. But um, I'll just say openly, I don't think there's such thing as a perfect family, even Jesus. Even Jesus is one. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Um, We'll finish up in a sec, but there's there's one one thing that I got out of yesterday as well, out of the passage. Jesus Jesus then says... um, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And I find it quite interesting because this is a Jesus who's not yet been to the cross. And when he said that, his disciples would not have interpreted that literally. They, they wouldn't have an image of Jesus hanging on the cross um, mm. as Jesus said that. I, I found that bit quite interesting that Jesus, before his crucifixion, well before it, he said that, take up your cross and follow me. I wonder what that meant to his disciples at the time, the pre-crucifixion disciples. Mm. Yeah. That, that was a new thought for me. I bet yeah. they just thought it was an illustration, not literal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how have you, where have you worked through with that thought? I have to admit I've not really thought of that before either. Mm. Yeah, so I, th- I think the thing that I'm, I'm addressing on that one Oh, sorry, someone coming in. Um, I think how would a Hebrew person, a Jewish person perceive, how would they have perceived the Roman form of corporal punishment, which was the cross? Jesus is basically saying, are you willing to go against the system so much, like to the extent of of being nailed to a cross as a criminal? As a, I don't know if they would have seen it as a criminal, but someone who went against the occupiers. Someone who, who went against those who were imposing their their worldview on them. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't worked it through enough yet, but it was just yeah. a new thought today. I'll have to give it some thought too, I think. Mm. Yeah. Take up your cross and follow me. Mm. What was the cross to the disciples before the crucifixion? Mm. It was an empire imposed upon them. Mm. Yeah, anyway, we don't have to answer that now. Maybe, maybe what we should do is say in the comments under this podcast, maybe give us your thoughts on that because I would love to hear some other views. Yeah, it would um, be good. Yeah. So, yeah, what what did the this the pre crucifixion disciples, how did they interpret take up your cross and follow me? Mm-hmm. Is that a phrase of the time? I don't know. Well, well yeah, hmm. don't know. Yeah, comments below, and you can think about it and write some comments as well. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah.
Um, is there anything else you guys want to add before we finish up? Um, yeah. Um, I wanted to come back. We talked a lot about counterdependence, but there was another word that um, Matt used, and that was interdependence. And um, and I think it's a a really important term that we move from we we go into an independent state where we're still very much focused on ourselves, but part of uh, maturing as a person is being able to not just love ourselves and take account of who we are and our place in the world but it's about looking beyond ourselves as well um, and and recognizing that other people are part of our world and that we can live with them and they can um, you know we can be supportive for them but they can also support us it's a very it's an openness I think in the way we live, and and, a hos and it's hospitable too. Is it? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Because um, to the Australian culture, is, to me as a bloke, I don't need anyone else. I sort it out myself. I, you know, I buy everything I need so that I don't need anyone else, and I look after myself. So that the Aussie culture says I am an individual. I am all there is, really, and that's all that matters. And I'll, I'll bring probably I'll bring bring my family into that arena, but not when, not anyone else. Yeah. And I, I, that's that's what we talk about when we say we live in an, in an individualistic society. Is that I just look after myself. I am number one. I'm all that matters. But, but as we live in community, or as we live in the way Christ asks us, um, he, he, says, he says, "Be vulnerable. Be open. Be hospitable." allow others to serve your needs and you help them love them as yourself and this interdependence where i actually like i'd like to see what other people's views or thoughts or beliefs are so that i can work out what mine is so instead of just being independent and doing it on my own i actually invite the interaction and through that interaction and trust allow others to influence who i am yeah so yeah yeah, and um, there's another as aspect of it. I mean, we can fall into the role of rescuer, that we've got the answers for everybody somehow. Mm. Sometimes we fall into the victim role, that, you know, they're all against me. They've got, you know, it's all about, and again, that's a me focus. Um, but the interdependence is... Let's just work together. It's and and the image that came to my mind is one from the Old Testament. Um, it's when um, a guy called Nehemiah wanted to rebuild the walls around um, the city that was really really important to his people, and he couldn't do it by himself. And they and the people. Um, they worked together. They partnered, mm. and they did. Um, so when, so when there was sort of started to be opposition to the building of that wall, one guarded, the other built. Yeah. Um, and and so there's this sense of having each other's backs, mm. yeah. and, and all going into the process. So no one person was the rescuer, no one person was the victim. But we're in it together as partners. And that's community. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. So, last question, Em. What, what do you take away from this sermon or this talk? I just keep thinking that sometimes I think that we can think of a peacekeeper as someone that is uh, doing the right thing because they're keeping the peace, they're keeping everybody happy. Um but really, we want to aspire to be the peacemakers. Peacekeepers run the risk of being a bit of a pushover, somebody that, you know, it can have really negative connotations long term. Um, I had exactly worded how I was going to say what I was going to say, and now it's just like pff, out of my brain. So my apologies. But basically, yeah, um, strive to be the peacemaker. But I think it's important that we remember to do everything like that in love. And even if you don't know the person, there's a loving way to go about being a peacemaker that's not coming across in a, like an arrogant or bossy kind of way. Yep. 
Um, yeah. And it's not easy. I think it's something that gets better with age. I'm just starting to sometimes feel like maybe with a ton load of prayer that I can sometimes maybe speak up to somebody above me, but yeah. not very often yeah. because I, you know, pull out in the last moment. But um, trust yourself. And I think if God prompts us enough, we need to be okay to step into that role, which yeah. he demonstrated. That's what Jesus was demonstrating be a peacemaker and that's sometimes not going to mean everybody likes you or likes what you're about to say but it still needs yeah. to be said yeah. Great. and how about for you um i think for me um we're all on our on journeys in terms of our walk of faith and um and I, I think for me, my desire is to grow in my faith yeah. and become more mature. And yeah. and what Jesus is saying is, um, and what Matt was talking about is, to do that, there are times when you're going to have to make hard decisions. You're going yeah. to have to. Um, you're going to have to be the one who. Um, stands out as um what's the word <laughs> just by being different you kind of draw attention to yourself and not necessarily in the right kind of way and it can be that the people who are giving you attention love you dearly but they're not they just can't see the world like you do mm. and so they're opposite so the quest for me the question is it comes back down to, well, what is it I want? And what do I want from my relationship um, with God? Mm. And am I prepared, you know, in what way is God want, asking me to stretch myself um, and so that I can become increasingly interdependent? Because it is so, I mean, I, I love my independence and um, it, and it's easy just to go off and do my own thing and, yeah, as you say, you keep your family in mind or whatever. But that awareness and asking the Holy Spirit to just move and for me to be aware and conscious that there are times when I'd be pushed yeah. to, to be um, vulnerable mm. in ways that go with being interdependent, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, great. All right, we'll, we'll finish up here. I think, I think very briefly for me, the the thing that God's been saying to me through this is maybe I could do some peacemaking in my immediate family, my broader family. There's loads of work to do, so maybe finding a few ways that I can actually be a peacemaker there. So. Go and have a chat to Bruno for a bit. <laughs> so, Who they yeah. talk to in the end of the movie? They end up patching it up with Bruno, guys. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. You're supposed to say spoiler alert first and then tell sorry, them. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Don't check that out. After uh, it's not an easy. It's not easy. Okay, guys. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Okay. So, we'll catch you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.